This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to Trumpet Hour. I'm Joel Hilliker. We are off this morning on our Celtic Throne Tour. I have the opportunity to bring my entire family along, my wife and three kids, on this national tour. We're on the road to Denver today. I'm hoping to record some radio programs along the way if I can make the time. Today we're going to start by talking about mass shootings. There have been a rash of these horrifying attacks in America lately, and our leaders are pushing stricter gun control as the solution. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Ufaro Manyepa showing that these incidents show a deep sickness in American society, and they'll continue until we address that fundamental cause. Then we'll talk about Russia's success in its war at sea. Russia has taken important Ukrainian port cities, and it's patrolling Ukraine's southern coast and blockading the nation's largest seaport. This is creating problems not just for Ukraine, but also for the countries it exports to all over the world. This points to a crucial biblical prophecy, a shift that highlights the end of an age in human history. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Abraham Blondeau about this. In our third segment, we'll look at the relationship between America and Germany. Polls show that a great majority of Americans consider our national relations with Germany good, while an even greater majority of Germans consider relations with America bad. We'll hear a report from Trumpet staff writer Josue Michels showing the evidence of just how contrary these two nations' interests are and the biblical prophecies showing why we should beware this relationship. And I'll conclude the program by talking about why it's important, no matter what sort of job you've been given, to prove yourself responsible. Let's start now by looking at the real cause for mass shootings in this report from Rufaro Manyepa. Following the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., Congress passed the Gun Control Act in 1968. But less than two decades later, many politicians had noted that this most restrictive gun law in American history largely failed to solve any problems. In July 1985, Senator Joe Biden said, quote, I have never believed that additional gun control or federal registration of guns would reduce crime. I am convinced that a criminal who wants a firearm can get one through illegal, untraceable, unregistered sources with or without gun control, end quote. 29 other Democrats agreed. Together with 49 Republican senators, they passed the Firearm Owners Protection Act, which removed most of the restrictions that the Gun Control Act had put in place. Congress had tried for gun control, and they found that it didn't work. But today, nearly four decades later, many Americans want to make the same mistake again, but this time, the consequences could be far worse. Last week, Joe Biden said that the constitutional right to bear arms was never absolute. 
Since recent tragedies like the one in Uvalde, Texas and in Buffalo, the gun control lobby has reached fever pitch. All of a sudden, almost every single shooting is being reported on. Canada has already banned the sale of handguns, and the Biden administration wants to do the same for America. Now, America has been arguably the freest nation in history, and that is in large part due to the Second Amendment. Government tyranny has been routine throughout human history, but in America, the citizens have guns. They have the right and the means to defend themselves against any sort of government tyranny. That is what the Second Amendment is all about. However, after the recent spate of gun violence, the left is leveraging these real tragedies to advance their own anti-Second Amendment agenda. Many are advocating for measures that go beyond gun control. Here's what Representative Mondaire Jones said following the Uvalde shooting. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Abolishing the filibuster, stacking the Supreme Court, these are Democrat objectives that predate the recent mass shootings. But now, such politicians are shamelessly trying to achieve their own objectives by pretending that they care about the children killed in Uvalde. They say their goal is to take weapons of war out of our communities, but if that were true, then they wouldn't be selective about which tragedies to condemn. Over Memorial Day weekend, 51 people were shot in Chicago. Nine were killed. That was Chicago's 971st shooting of the year. A 2016 University of Pittsburgh study found that 80% of firearms recovered at crime scenes had been illegally obtained. But these tragedies are always met with scant coverage, just a handful of articles and reports. Why don't they receive the same coverage as Uvalde or Buffalo? If guns are the enemy, why are some tragedies reported while others aren't? The reason is because these politicians don't care about making America safer. They're very good at making it sound like that's the case. But in reality, they want power. Without the Second Amendment, America will be open to the same kind of tyranny that's rampant in third world banana republics. In a society without guns, a despotic government can engage in whatever it wills, forgetting that it is a government of, by, and for the people. The U.S. Constitution affords the American people a truly unique level of freedom, and the government knows it. And because of the Second Amendment, the people have the means to defend that freedom. But the left refuses to admit to that real purpose behind the Second Amendment. They pretend that it's only for hunting or other recreational purposes. They misrepresent the facts, alleging that guns make America less safe than other developed nations in the world. 
Well, the data shows that between 1998 and 2015, four times as many per capita died in mass shootings in France as in the United States. It was 21 times more in Norway. In addition to those first world countries, Finland, Germany, Israel, Italy, Spain and Switzerland all have higher mass shooting death rates. These same developed countries also struggle from far more non-gun-related homicides than the United States does. A 2017 bombing in the UK killed 22 and injured 250. A 2016 mass stabbing in Japan killed 11 and injured 56. A car ramming in France the same year killed 86 and injured 434. The list continues with similar numbers varying from stabbings and car rammings to bombings and even deliberate plane crashes. Human beings are generally prone to acts of violence with or without guns. So basically, just as most developed countries all owned and traded in slaves in their history, they also all suffer from serious violence and homicidal tragedies. But today, their history of slavery is ignored as much as the mass killings that they experience, while at the same time, everyone pretends that both are a uniquely American problem. Other countries have no obligation to defend America's history and legacy, but why are many Americans eager to misrepresent the facts? Is creating safer schools, supermarkets, and communities really the goal? The evidence proves that it isn't. The push for gun control isn't about safety. It never has been. It is about power. Here's what our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, wrote about these calls for gun control. Nightmares like this, he says, are part of the curses on our lawless society. None of these responses will prevent more tragedies like this in the future. In fact, it is all a distraction that prevents us from dealing with the deeper sickness in our society, he says. Lawlessness is the root of the problem. The radicals overrunning America are determined to completely do away with the law. They want to take away people's guns, do away with the filibuster, stack the Supreme Court, and so much more. They are using the outrage from tragedies like Uvalde to distract people from this real goal the fundamental transformation of America from the constitutional republic it is and into a communist dictatorship. Perhaps some Democrats sincerely believe that if they destroy America as we know it, they can rebuild a better country. But Democrat-run cities like Chicago show that they can't. The truth is only the Bible has the true solutions. Now, many scoff at the idea of looking to the Bible for answers, but in the face of man's clear inability to solve problems permanently, isn't it worth at least considering? In fact, the Bible says that it's the disregard of what's in the Bible and its laws that is at the heart of all the problems that we see. Isaiah 59 verses 6 through 8 say this, 
Their works are works of iniquity and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goes therein shall not know peace. Here's what Mr. Flurry says about these scriptures. He says, God explains why these things are happening. If God is not in the picture, not only can we not understand events, but they will be leading to catastrophic climax, human annihilation. That is a stark reality that the media and politicians are unwilling to face, he says. If there is no God, we are not going to survive. But there is a God. He is letting us go our own way to see that we cannot rule ourselves. Those in government want to take your guns, your rights, and your freedoms. They believe that once they have all the power, they can bring utopia. But look at how quickly society degenerates as we move away from the Bible-based constitution. Look at the history of civilization. It is a history of war and violence. Only God can bring an end to the violence and bloodshed, and we have a part to play in that. Please read Mr. Flurry's article, The Real Solution to Mass Shootings and Violence, to learn how. Thank you very much for that, Rufaro. Your uh, perspective as a non-American, uh, you've lived here for four years, uh, come from your native Zimbabwe. You have uh, kind of a unique perspective on this on this question just because of the disparity between what you see here and what you've seen in your home. Maybe you can explain that perspective. Absolutely. Um, I'll say I can't profess to fully understand the American affinity for guns. There's some people who, you know, might have 15 or 20 guns in their home. Um, and I think there's about 390 million guns in circulation in America legally. Um, and in Zimbabwe, on the other hand, virtually nobody owns guns. Um, so you don't, you don't, you don't have, you know, as much of what you see in America, but at the same time, um, what you see in Zimbabwe is just so much tyranny. You know, we've never had any level of freedom at all the way that you have it in America. Um, it's 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 pretty remarkable to to look at that. And if if people in Zimbabwe had guns the way that Americans do, if if we had access to that, if we if the government knew that they could defend themselves, the Zimbabweans could. I don't think that they do the things that they do routinely, you know, I, I don't think we would have the amount of tyranny that we have, which is really interesting to think about because anytime there's a protest by people in Zimbabwe, anytime there's um, just some level of demonstration against the government, and I can probably count on one hand the number of times that's actually happened. People mm. are usually too afraid to do that. Yeah. People get shot down, the military gets deployed, and I, I actually have been in that situation myself. I was just in town once 
um, picking up my dry cleaning and there was a protest happening and I ended up having to run for my life. I saw people get gunned down around me um, just for protesting election results. Mm-hmm. In America, you know, you, you can you can be safe from that sort of situation. You'll never have a situation where the military is shooting and killing civilians. The government will never do that here because they know that people have guns and they'll fire back, which is what the founders of America intended, which is an amazing thing when you think about it. And, you know, it's it's easy, I think, to to think that, oh, there's too much of this or this isn't going to help. But when you look on the other side of what a society without guns can be put through by their government, you really appreciate how special the Second Amendment is. That's uh, that's quite a phenomenal uh, perspective. And it's something that I think Americans very easily take for granted. When events like Uvalde and Buffalo happen, there's clearly a, a strong emotional reaction. Politicians in particular and the media are very eager to take advantage of that. They know mm-hmm. that people tend to be governed more by emotion than by anything else. And so some of the statistics that you were mentioning showing that there's no evidence to show that more gun control actually prevents these types of things from happening. Uh, those are things that people just won't even look at. Absolutely right. It's, it's really easy to just look at guns and, and say that that's the problem. And it's, it's an easy answer, but that doesn't make it the correct answer. Uh, there's some stats I came across about uh, just state-by-state gun ownership percentages. 60% of Wyoming households own guns. Wyoming has probably the least restrictive gun laws in the, in the country, and it has a murder rate of 1.4 per 100,000. That's even lower than Canada does hmm. with those high levels of gun ownership. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Washington, D.C., has probably the strictest gun laws in the country. It's got the lowest gun ownership levels in the country as well. And yet it has, I think it's the jurisdiction that has the highest murder rate in the country, 22 per 100,000. Hmm. Like the exact the exact <laughs> metrics that are supposed to produce uh, what the radical left says disprove everything they're saying if what they're saying were true then we wouldn't see these figures in either wyoming or washington dc and when you look at it objectively that's when you need to really start asking okay so what do these people really care about when the facts disprove everything that they're saying well the other statistic that you gave in your report that underscores that is that 80 percent of the the crimes that are committed are committed with guns that haven't been registered mm-hmm. or were procured illegally so if that's the case those laws are doing nothing to uh to prevent these the people who are committing these crimes so you know as has been said so many times you're taking guns out of the hands of the law-abiding people and mm-hmm. you're basically allowing the criminals to to uh to rule the day because they're not going to abide by those those uh gun control laws well thank you very much for that we've been talking with trumpet writer rufaro manyepa about the real cause for mass shooting in america he's written an article about this subject the gun control distraction You can find that at thetrumpet.com. Thanks so much. It's great to have you with us. 
Always a pleasure, sir. is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. Though Russia is struggling to achieve victory on land in its Ukraine war, it is enjoying considerably more success in its war at sea, as we will now learn in this report from Abraham Blondeau. Russia's ground invasion of Ukraine did not go as planned. Not only did the lightning strike at Kiev fail, but Russian forces had to pull back and then reconcentrate in eastern Ukraine. But while most of the media coverage has focused on the war on land, Russia has had outstanding success in a different dimension of the conflict, the war at sea. Quote, in the early days of the current war, Russia's navy moved quickly to enact a blockade of the Ukrainian coast, wrote Joshua Keating at GRID. Continuing, it closed off the Kerch Strait, which connects the smaller Sea of Azov to the Black Sea. The important Sea of Azov port cities of Berdansk and Mariupol have since fallen to Russian forces. Some 20 Russian naval vessels, including six submarines, are also patrolling the southern coast. End quote. The entire Black Sea strategy hinged on securing the Crimean port of Sebastopol. Establishing a land bridge solidified Russia's presence in the sea. Keating continued, Further west, Russian warships and the forces now stationed on Snake Island are also enforcing a blockade on Odessa, Ukraine's largest seaport. Ukrainian forces have been fighting to retake the now iconic outcropping, hoping to prevent the Russians from setting up surface-to-air missile capabilities there. End quote. Snake Island is essential to stopping merchant ships from reaching Ukraine. Western powers are beginning to supply Ukraine with anti-ship missiles. The sinking of the Russian Black Sea Fleet's flagship, the Moskva, was a massive blow of prestige to Russia. While this forced Russian vessels to move further offshore, it did not deter the blockade. The Russian Navy enjoys a technological and numerical superiority over the Ukrainian Navy. This massive advantage can mainly be credited to one man, Barack Obama. Lawrence Friedman writes at the New Statesman, quote, The Russian move to annex Crimea in 2014 was in part motivated by its desire to avoid any challenge to his naval base at Sevastopol. In the process of securing the base, it also acquired three-quarters of the Ukrainian Navy. At the start of this war, in February, the Ukrainian Navy was still small, with only 5,000 sailors and consisting largely of patrol vessels. They were soon targeted by the Russians, and one, the Slavonask, which had been gifted by the U.S. to Ukraine in 2018, was sunk in the first week of March. End quote. The weakness of Obama toward Russian President Vladimir Putin enabled Russia to confiscate 75% of the Ukrainian fleet and provide the means to now completely blockade the country. The Russian Navy efficiently divided the Black Sea into two. First, it closed the Kersh Strait, the narrow passage between Crimea and the east coast of the Black Sea, which made the Sea of Azov a Russian lake, 
and greatly enabled the Russian subjugation of the land bridge. Secondly, the capture of Snake Island on the western side of the Black Sea gave the Russian Navy the means to effectively blockade Odessa, Ukraine's main port city. Most incoming and outgoing goods move via Odessa. This blockade has strangled Ukraine's economy and is starting to have an impact on the entire world. Quote, so long as the blockade continues, real problems are caused not only for Ukraine but the rest of the world, continued Friedman. In 2022, Ukraine was predicted to provide half of the world's sunflower oil exports, 16% of corn exports, along with 18% of barley and 12% of wheat. The UN Food Agency reported on May 6 that nearly 25 million tons of grain are stuck in Ukraine. End quote. The backlog of grain is causing issues for farmers who now lack storage space for the new harvest. If a solution is not found soon, millions of tons of grain will be lost. Shipping through the Black Sea accounted for half of Ukraine's total trade and 90% of its grain and sunflower oil exports. However, it is not just grain and foodstuffs. Ukraine also produces 50% of the world's supply of neon gas that are used to produce semiconductor chips. These chips are used in basically everything technology. Due to several merchant ships either being attacked or hitting mines, insurance rates have gone so high it is impossible to operate in the Black Sea. It is also unclear if Russia would allow any merchant ships to land on shore. Currently, around 80 merchant vessels have been stranded in Odessa due to the Russian blockade. Simply switching to overland transport is not a timely solution. Grain is too bulky and too heavy to be airlifted, and driving via truck is slow and expensive. Even shipping by rail is proving to be cumbersome, as Ukrainian railways are built with a Soviet-era thicker gauge of steel than the European railways. Thus, the grain must be switched at the border every single time. Options to break the blockade range from NATO providing escorts to merchant vessels or providing Ukraine with the capability to break the blockade itself. However, the major barrier has been Turkey's control of the Dardanelles and Bosphorus. Quote, Early in the war, Turkey, which controls access to the Black Sea from the Mediterranean via the Dardanelles and the Bosphorus, triggered a 1936 treaty known as the Montreux Convention which obligates it to cut off access to the sea to naval ships during wartime, continued Keating. Controversially, Turkey is interpreting the convention as applying to all ships, including NATO vessels, not just belligerents in this war. However, the convention allows naval ships based in the sea, such as Russia's Black Sea Fleet, to move about and return to their Black Sea bases, and many Russian vessels were already there anyway so the Russian Navy effectively has free reign, end quote. Although Turkey is a member of NATO, it is increasingly hostile against America, and its control of the Straits is aiding Russia. Once again, control of the Seagates is proving decisive to maritime conflicts. Bible prophecy draws attention to Seagates as being essential to world power. The late Herbert W. Armstrong explained in the book The United States and Britain in Prophecy that God promised to Israel that it would possess the gates of his enemies. Genesis 22, verse 16-18 in the Farrar-Fenton translation. 
The modern descendants of Israel today are primarily the United States and British Commonwealth. Mr. Armstrong wrote, quote, The gates of enemies are the strategic sea gates of entrance to or exit from these nations. Although all wealth comes from the ground, prosperity and affluence on a national scale always have come by industry and commerce. And commerce between nations has been transacted almost altogether by sea lanes of the world, by ships and within a continent by railroads. End quote. Britain and America came to possession of the most important sea gates, including the Panama Canal, Gibraltar, the Suez Canal, Singapore, Hong Kong, amongst many others. Yet neither Britain nor America have ever really controlled the Dardanelles or Bosphorus Straits. Ever since the fall of the Byzantine Empire in 1453, these vital passages have been controlled by the Turkish people. Mr. Armstrong identified the biblical identity of the Turkish people in the United States and Britain in prophecy, writing, The sparse records of history, with other proofs, show that the many descendants of Esau became known as Turks. Therefore, we must remember that prophecies pertaining to the latter days referring to Edom or Esau refer generally to the Turkish nation. In Isaac's dying prophecy, he foretold that Esau's descendants would come to a time when they should have dominion, and then break the yoke of the Israelites from off their necks. This has happened. The children of Israel, through sin, were driven out of the promised land that belonged with the birthright. The Turks came to power and dominion, and for many centuries possessed that land. Those descendants, the Turkish people, occupied Palestine 400 years before Britain took it in 1917. Esau's descendants always have lusted for that land, central promise of the birthright. The Turks have truly lived by the sword. End quote. America, Britain, and Turkey are descendants of the patriarch Abraham, and they have warred against each other over many centuries with some brief periods of peace. Central to many of these conflicts has been the control of the Dardanelles. Turkey was allied with Britain against Russia during the Crimean War. Sixty years later, Britain was allied with Russia against Turkey during World War I. The bloody Gallipoli campaign aimed to knock Turkey out of the war and open the Black Sea to supplies for the Tsar's Russia. After victory in 1918, Britain did exert a certain amount of influence over the Dardanelles. Psalms 83 indicates that in the near future, Turkey will join in an alliance with a German-led Europe against America, Britain, and the Jewish nation of Israel. Turkey has been increasingly hostile to America. We can expect Turkey to temporarily side with Russia over NATO as long as Germany is in a secret alliance with Russia. Eventually, Russia and Germany will be in conflict with one another, but for now, Turkey's control to the entrance of the Black Sea precisely reflects what Bible prophecy says about Black Sea geopolitics. Russia's successful blockade in the Black Sea and Turkey's decisive control over the Bosphorus Strait is a small preview of what Bible prophecy says will happen on a global scale in the near future. The trumpet closely follows how America and Britain have lost control of nearly all the vital sea gates because we have lost the pride in our power. See Leviticus 26 verse 19. These sea gates, instead, would be controlled by our enemies, especially China and Germany. 
The loss of these sea gates is key to the fulfillment of prophecies in Ezekiel 3 and 4, which outlines what happens to end-time Israel during the Great Tribulation. See Matthew 24, 21-22. Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry writes in the booklet, Ezekiel the End-Time Prophet, quote, In the past, we believed the Great Tribulation would begin when America, Britain, and Judah were attacked militarily. Yet Ezekiel 4 describes the tribulation as actually beginning with an economic siege against these nations. One-third of the people inside that siege against Israel will die. That equates to more than 100 million people in the U.S. and more than 21 million in Britain, plus some of the Commonwealth nations. This siege is a blockade of trade by enemy powers on a worldwide scale much like what is occurring in the Black Sea. We are living right now through a time period of disrupted supply chains caused by COVID lockdowns, natural disasters, and government policies. This is already causing widespread food shortages. How much worse will it be when foreign militaries deliberately besiege our nations? Mr. Fleury continues in the Ezekiel booklet, quote, For many years, Mr. Armstrong said the siege prophesied in verse 52 of Deuteronomy 28 symbolized America's economy being battered by foreign competition. And he shall besiege thee in thy gates. The target here has to be the nations of Israel, not Judah. Who has these gates? America and Britain have or had the gates, and we are going to be besieged in all of them. We have already virtually lost control of all of them. This is a prophecy for this end time. The Holy Roman Empire, along with the kings of the East, the Asian nations, will cause economic problems and bring on destruction in many ways. The real pressure is coming from without. In all thy gates refers to a trade war. This international blockade will cause unimaginable suffering in America and the British Commonwealth as our societies implode. The Russian blockade in the Black Sea is only a small preview of what will be happening soon against the nations of Israel. The instability and violence spreading around the world will eventually come to America and Britain. God is revealing these prophecies as a warning to urge you to take action before the Great Tribulation. You can avoid these terrible curses, but it all starts with turning to God. To learn more about these urgent prophecies, please read our booklet, Ezekiel the End Time Prophet. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. Why should Americans beware our relationship with Germany? We'll get the answer in this report from Josue Michels. When German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited the United States in February, Joe Biden made a revealing statement. There is no issue of global importance where Germany and the United States are not working together, strength to strength, and applying and amplifying our efforts together. For years, Germany appears to contradict and undermine America's interests in the world. But overall, Germany enjoys a very positive reputation in America. Why? Germany and America 
obviously have some major differences. Years before Russia invaded Ukraine, both Democrats and Republicans in America urged Germany to end its energy dependence on Russia and halt the building of Nord Stream 2 pipeline. In the end, the German government was able to sway the Democratic Party to allow its completion. Now we see how destructive this project was. The US has also called on Germany to pay its fair share to NATO. For too long it got away with paying little more than half of what was due. President Trump called out Germany for not supporting Ukraine years before Russia invaded. In all these areas, Germany emboldened Russia and weakened the US alliance without consequences. Now the US is sending billions of dollars and high-tech weapons to Ukraine, while Germany stands idly by. Germany is also enabling the rise of yet another conflict. Its economic relations with China has allowed the Asian giant to rise in prestige with a strengthened economy. These are just a few of many examples where German interests have clashed with youth in America. But very often Germany has been able to convince its American counterparts that everything is okay. Only Donald Trump has successfully called out Germany's hypocrisy. During Scholz's visit in February to the United States, Germany blocked meaningful sanctions against Russia and weapons exports to Ukraine. Der Spiegel and others reported that Scholz had apparently rejected an earlier invitation to Washington DC. Still, the US government courted Scholz during his visit. Despite Germany's long-term economic relations with Russia, America is keen to sell Germany its most modern fighter jet. America has a generally positive view of Germany, but the same can't be said of Germany's view of America. After the recent mass shooting in Texas, Germany's Spiegel published the headline This country is beyond help and the Americans are crazy. It wrote, quote, Firearms are the leading cause of death for young people in the USA. How can one be guided by a completely perverted concept of freedom? End of quote. You would rarely see an American paper such a neo-Nazi murder in Germany or Germany's devious relationship with Russia that harshly. Germany is far quicker to judge America for its faults than vice versa. In the 2018 survey, 73% of Germans described relations with the US as somewhat bad or very bad, but 70% of Americans said relations were somewhat good or very good. The survey was taken during the time of President Donald Trump. It is not necessarily representative of today's mood. Still, it shows the general tendency that recent examples confirm. America loves Germany, but Germany doesn't feel the same way. Germany has various institutions to ensure that its interests are understood. That is part of the reason why Germany has, a, has such a good public image in America. In March, Germany was widely criticized for being an unreliable partner. The Hill published an article titled 
A tectonic shift in German foreign policy has come when the world needs it most. Arguing that America needs more cooperation with Germany, not less. The two authors work for the American Council on Germany, ACG, founded in 1952, just a few years after World War II. The Council was established to strengthen American relations with Germany. The organization also closely cooperates with others that share its goals, such as Atlantic Brücke, Aspen Institute Germany, and the German Marshall Fund of the United States. ACG interacts with high-level politicians, explains Germany's interests, and hosts public events. If Germany does something controversial, ACG mediates. It is one of the few institutions that is able to shape American policymakers and people's opinions of Germany. Like most organizations, the work of ACG is defined by its sponsors, which include AT&T, BASF, BMW, Daimler, Deutsche Bank and many more. Chairman and CEO of BSF Corporation, Michael Heinz, was interviewed on May 27th by ACG on why Russian gas imports are so important for the country. He is also an ACG member on the board. Of course, he explained why Germany can't enforce a gas embargo on Russia. While his argument appears flawless, his opinions differs from some independent economists claim that a complete gas embargo would have not only saved the lives of Ukrainians, but also been manageable for the German economy. Leaders of BSFF have frequently ridiculed these economists. Apparently, they also make sure that America understands their point of view. Another example that came up in the interview was the company's relationship with China. This is a controversial topic, but BASF argues it away. After shocking revelations about China's re-education camps appeared, Spiegel asked BASF CEO Martin Brudermüller, what lessons does BASF learn from the Russian experience for its dealings with China? Brudermüller responded, it's not expedient to equate Russia and China The two countries have different systems and cultures, and China's economic importance is much greater. In 2030, China will have a global market share of around 50% for chemical products. A global company like ours cannot do without half of the world market." End of quote. That doesn't give the impression that BASF is willing to learn from its mistakes. China is known for its gross human rights violations. It threatens to invade Taiwan and is considered the United States' main rival. But for as long as possible, BASF wants to cooperate with the Asian giant. And it wants Americans to understand that Germany's cooperation with China isn't concerning. This is just one of the many companies that sponsors the American Council on Germany and influences America's opinion on Germany. But the work of ACG is much bigger. The Council has also helped organize various events under the name 
wunderbar together. They're supposed to strengthen Germany's and America's ties and give it a positive view in the population. For decades, Germany has sought close ties with the US. Doing so would allow it to benefit from trade relations, the nuclear umbrella, US military technology. Yet it has also been pursuing its own strategic goals. But consider this important biblical question. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You can read that in Amos 3.3. Somehow organizations like the American Council on Germany are able to give everything a positive spin, but we shouldn't take their word for it. One could even argue that many of the current conflicts and the upcoming ones can be blamed on Germany in part. The reason they aren't is because of Germany's cunningness. History shows how important it is to discern the goals of those who seek to sway your opinion. Adolf Hitler's Nazi propaganda infamously swayed not only the views of its own population, but even the views of many around the world. In 1944, Kurt Wies detailed many examples of US politicians and media who supported the causes the Nazis fought for. Wies concluded in his book The Nazis Go Underground that undercover Nazis would most certainly seek to exploit America's vulnerability. Incidentally, BASF, the parent company IG Farben, was a key player enabling Adolf Hitler's war and receives a mention in Wieser's book revealing the Nazis' underground plans. My wife came up with the following analogy. You can think about the Nazi underground like a vast root system. Sometimes you see nothing on the surface, sometimes just a few harmless plants or trees, but under the surface, all of them are connected, working together. After the war ended, the US helped rebuild Germany and allowed it to have its own military and it ended its denazification project just after a few short years. Ries warned about this in 1944, based on the understanding he had on how underground movements work and how Nazi leaders planned to keep the movement going. But many decades have passed and people are much less concerned about Germany today. But could it be that the American mood is swayed toward a positive view on Germany and a calculated strategy? A source more powerful than history warns about just that. The Bible has a specific warning against trusting one's lovers. Ezekiel 33 verse 5 and 9 includes a warning that is more alarming if you understand its symbolism. In America's naive trust in Germany, trumpet editor-in-chief Jeff Lewis explained, God has a strong view about cozying up to such lovers. It is a matter of trust. America has no trust in God for protection, so it is trusting another nation, in this case, one with a terrifying history. We have put human beings ahead of God. God condemns modern Israel, especially America, Britain and the Jewish state, because they have forgotten God. That is a serious mistake these nations are going to regret." Quote. But there is yet another level 
to the betrayal that is highlighted in Bible prophecy. This prophesied double cross will be executed by one man in particular. Daniel 8 verses 23-25 to reads, In the latter time of their kingdom, when transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people, and through his policies also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Notice the phrase, by peace shall destroy many. In his article, The Armies of Armageddon, Mr. Fluey wrote, This king comes acting like he wants peace, but he is lying. He will be a ruthless and violent man, preaching peace but practicing war. End of quote. For more than a decade, Mr. Fluey has proclaimed that the most likely man to fulfill the double cross is Germany's former defense minister, Karl Theodor Gutenberg. The American Council on Germany lists him as a member and director with the title His Excellency Karl Theodor von und zu Gutenberg. He is also a member of Atlantic Brücke. While certainly not every effort to strengthen US-German cooperation is a dangerous trap, the Bible's warning is clear. Germany and America's relationship is about to lead to create catastrophe. Before both nations repent and walk, not only in agreement with each other, but also with God. This coming double course, the Bible's call to repentance and the wonderful news ahead are all explained in Isaiah's Anti-Ambition by Gerald Fluey. It's time for today's Last Word. Her arm was broken, and I felt terrible. I was 19 years old, working in a summer youth camp with kids aged 8 through 12. I was teaching a class we called Imagineering. Using an assortment of ropes, hay bales, tires, poles, and other materials, the campers had built an obstacle course that they navigated on the last day of camp. On one obstacle, this girl had fallen awkwardly, and that ended her camp experience. Now she was being driven off to a clinic. That night, I was really discouraged. I talked to my dad, hoping for something like, that's okay, accidents happen. Instead, to my dismay, he corrected me. You have to ensure those campers' safety above everything else, he said strongly. A second session of the camp was beginning within a couple of days. Figure out a way to put them in safety harnesses or something, he told me. The parents are counting on you. This simply must be right. That was a tough pill to swallow. But without that correction, I probably would have floundered in self-pity, changed nothing, learned nothing, and perhaps had a repeat experience. Instead, I was forced to accept blame, take responsibility, and fix the problem. 
My battle in that moment is one I've faced many times since. It is common to anyone trying to accomplish anything worthwhile. It comes from the weight of responsibility. Responsibility is a potent word. It can be used to mean a task or a job, like it's my responsibility to take out the trash. Getting a new responsibility can be a mark of progress and maturity for a young person. A responsibility can be an opportunity, like getting to drive the family car and bringing it home with a full tank. The word can also refer to accountability, a burden, or even blame or guilt. It's her responsibility to finish that project, or he bears responsibility for damaging that vehicle. In a sense, all these things boil down to the fact that when you receive a job or opportunity, you are also held responsible. Others are relying on you. You have to do the job and do it right. Are you responsible? Can people rely on you? Are you dependable? You want opportunity, but do you also accept accountability? Be honest with yourself. Judge your success not by good intentions or wishful thinking, but by actual results. To follow through on a job or a commitment, to be dependable to others, even when you don't feel like it or it's inconvenient, it can be hard to do. It takes character. When God gives someone a responsibility, he wants to see results. Our human nature wants to wiggle out and put up excuses. Moses said, well, I'm not good enough. Gideon said, my family is too lowly. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. A slothful servant said, my boss is too harsh. You can find that in in Jesus's parable of the talents in Matthew 25. But God does not accept excuses. He wants results. Fundamentally, this is a choice you make. You choose whether you can be relied on or not. It's a matter of the priority you put on it. If your priority is to grow in godly character, you'll take responsibility for yourself. You'll be dependable and trustworthy to others. You'll carry out your commitments. If you don't put a priority on it, you'll get distracted. You'll need reminding. You'll always show up late and hold others up. You'll be unpredictable and unreliable. This will create a lot of problems in your life, in your education, your work, your relationships, your spiritual life, until you correct it. God is training us to be reliable, trustworthy, responsible. We need to think about that with every task we're given. When you're given a job, Get it done. See it through, even when it gets hard. Don't intend to see it through. Don't try to see it through. Don't wish you could see it through. See it through. Choose to make success your priority. Work at being dependable. During that second session of summer camp, I rigged all the campers up in safety harnesses. And this actually made it so the obstacles could be more daring, more exciting and fun. We made it through with no injuries, and I had a real sense of accomplishment and satisfaction. God will give you the help you need if you do your part, but you must do your part, whether it's protecting students on your obstacle course or finishing that project by the deadline or proving yourself an attentive, diligent worker. When you're given a job, do it right. Stick with it to the end. 
And if you're doing this the right way, you will earn a reputation for responsibility. People will be able to count on you. And so will God. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Rufaro Manyepa, Abraham Blondeau, and Josue Michels. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Mark Twain. The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. You've been listening to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.